over the last few years, I've had tons of conversations with people who have left the church because of wounds that they've gotten, not our church, but church in general. So they've been wounded emotionally by someone in the church, maybe it's leadership in the church. I've talked to people who've been sexually abused by people in the church. I've talked to people who would just say, church is irrelevant for me. I can get more time with God out on the boat than I can by coming on a Sunday morning. I hear this over and over and over again. And the question is, why do people keep leaving the church? The answer, because we are failing to live lives that reflect the message that we keep proclaiming to be true. What Paul talks about today is he calls us lights of the world, meaning we are a reflection of God, which means we are meant to draw people in by our light, God's light reflecting off of us out into the world, and it's meant to draw people in to us. Because here's what's happened. Because the church in America today, because the church is failing, here's what we're doing now. Because the church is shrinking in America today, here's what we're doing now. Instead of it seeing as people being the light that attracts people into the church, we're putting on amazing light shows in the church. It's like light, camera, and action. We are putting on these amazing shows, on su- pouring all this attention in Sunday morning to captivate people so that they would just be longing to be entertained and come in and see this grand show that draws our attention in, makes us entertained so we don't look away. And all of the attention is being pointed to that. And I, look, I, don't ha- I, I long for this. Like I, I love that feeling of the bass drum that's... I can feel it in my chest. I, long, I love the sound of a screaming guitar. Here's, the, here's my problem. Is that when I talk to people and they start telling me this, I'm coming back to the church now because it's finally being done different. I'm coming back to the church now because it's entertaining. I'm coming back to the church now because it's holding my attention. When all throughout the Bible, the reason people ought to come back to the church, the reason people ought to come to the church is because we are shining as lights, not because there's some light show. Which means that the thing that ought to be drawing people here into the grove is you. Not me giving some sermon, not the band doing something, but simply you, the people of the Grove. We're in our series called Moxie, and Moxie means strength of care. Oh, sorry. We're in our series called Moxie. I got my Moxie. I get it close to the mic so you can really hear it. So we're in our series called Moxie. Moxie means it means you got guts. It means you're gritty. It means you've got this strength and this courage, and it, it means that. But we're talking about Christian moxie, and Christian moxie is completely unique to this. I mean, there's nothing like Christian moxie. And in fact, when you meet someone with Christian moxie, you know it, you're very aware of it, you're drawn to this person. We all want this. So here's what person with Christian moxie has. They got guts, and they got strength, and and they got determination, but at the same time, they have peace like a deep contentment, and they have a joy about them that is absolutely unshakable because they have a God who's unshakable. So no matter what their situation is, they have a God who gives them peace and joy because they have a God who's absolutely unshakable. And come on, we all want that. Like we want to be able to stand here or sit here or whatever and say, 
no matter what happens in my life, I have found the thing that gives me joy no matter what, that gives me strength no matter what, that gives me peace no matter what, and contentment. We're all longing for that, and I think we could all admit we could probably use some more of that. And, and what the book of Philippians keeps telling us over and over again is that that's available to every single one of us in Christ. And the more we go and just simply go into his presence, into his, the, by grace we go into his presence. See, because here's what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, man, okay, I got to get this moxie. How am I doing? Okay, let me work on my courage. Let me work on my, my determination. Let me work on my peace. And you're messing it all up because you're working on yourself with, this is all you got to do. You go into the presence of Jesus Christ and he begins to give you all of those things. It's about going to him, not trying to attain something on your own. That is what draws people into the church. The church being an irresistible light in the world. So, let's go get that stuff right now. Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice in me. Okay, I want you to imagine something. You are with your family and you get into a plane crash in the middle of nowhere. You land in the middle of the forest and you are the only ones who survive. You get out of the plane, and you're in the middle of nowhere, and it's cold, and over time, like, you're like, okay, we got to get to safety, we got to get to shelter, and you're getting hungry, and your kids are getting thirsty, and you're feeling like, oh man, like, this could be really, really bad for us. And so you start making your way, and terror starts filling you up because it's been hours, and you're finding nowhere, no help anywhere. And then, all of a sudden, you see a light a little glimmer of a light, and you say, oh man, okay, this is some hope, and so you start following that light, and you're getting closer and closer to the point to where you're feeling really sure that you've got help coming, and so then you take off running, and your family's running with you, and then you break through the, the, the forest into an opening, and you find that it's simply a lake that is reflect, a reflection of the moon that is bouncing off the lake, and that's what that light was. You've been tricked. And the bottom falls out and you, you, your heart drops and you fall to your knees thinking, okay, this is it. Hope is gone. We're done. That's what it feels like to be drawn into the church by a light show. To be drawn in by something phony. To, be, to, to, do, to have something there that's just seeking your attention. Come on, just come and be entertained. Because here's what happens. When that happens, when somebody walks into a church and that's what their experience is, their soul is longing for hope. Their soul is longing for life. And they come in to church where everything is dead. And it's just a show. And they realize it as they're sitting there. And maybe they're not crying out 
openly, but in their soul, they're crying, and their soul is dropping to its knees, thinking hope is lost. Okay, I don't know if there's a God, but if there is, he cares nothing for me, and they're done. That's what happens if we attract people with lights, with camera, and with action versus the real thing. Let's change the scenario in the plane crash, and let's say that you see the light. You go running, and it turns out to be a mansion. So you go knocking on the door with your family, and, and the door opens up, and it's the nicest family you've ever met, and they welcome you in, and they sit you down by the fire, and they get you some food and some water. You make calls, and everybody knows everything is okay, and they're welcoming you in, and then they give you a bed, and you get your whole family, you're in the bed, and you're just holding your kids because you know like this situation could have gone much different. And you wake up in the morning, and this family has coffee for you, warm coffee, and they have this delicious meal for you, and you're just watching as now as your kids are playing and they're laughing. And you said, this could have gone way differently. And then the evening comes and this family opens up their best bottle of wine and they sit down and you drink it with them and you realize that now these are probably going to be the best friends that you've ever had in your life. That is what it should feel like to walk into the church. You have found life and you found it with the greatest friends that you're ever going to have. That is what it means for us to be the light of the world. Now, our verses today are contrasting light and darkness, and it portrays the darkness in this world, and it says that we live in a twisted and crooked generation. Look, the, if you want to read the Bible, you've got to realize this. It's going to hit you hard with truth. And what it's saying here is that we all are living in a twisted and crooked generation. Now, this generation that Paul is writing to, they're the generation that crucified Christ. But, but look, here's what you've got to understand. All, all, all generations have crucified Christ because he went to the cross for the sins of the world. He was not forced there by a certain generation. He went there because he knew that was his very mission and that was the reason he came into the world, to die on the cross for the sins of the world. He chose to go there, and so every single generation is the reason that he went to the cross, which means every single generation is a twisted and crooked generation. And then it talks about how they're grumbling. Do you know, like, God saves his people in the Old Testament. They go into the wilderness, and immediately, what do they start doing? Grumbling. Immediately, they're complaining to him, and they're complaining about him, and they're ready to turn away from him immediately. What this is trying to paint a picture of us for is, here's the picture. All this stuff of moxie, the world doesn't have it. Peace and contentment and joy. Do you know what we're doing? I mean, look throughout history. It's just a history of war. And even us today, you know, we're at a bit of a distance. So we can sit here in our comfortable, like, we can come here and sit. And we're just comfortable. And, and we don't think that that stuff is of us. Like, we're not in war. Let me tell you something. There's something far more harmful than arrows and guns. It's our words. And let me tell you why. Do you know the very instrument through which God rescues the world? His word. Meaning this, God has come. He's accomplished everything in the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. And now do you know how people are rescued in the world? By that word being spoken to people. But instead of us using words to rescue the world, we're tearing the world up. Look on, look on social media. 
This is worse than guns. This is worse than arrows being shot at people. This is the story of humanity attacking each other through our words on social media, tearing each other up, and that is contrasted with what the church is supposed to be, where there are words of grace, words of love, words of welcoming, words of, I am finally at the place, I'm finally home. I know it, and these are going to be the best friends that I will ever have in my life because they know how to love like the world outside of this place does not know how to love. That is what it's supposed to feel like when you walk into a church of people. Walking in to a community that becomes irresistible because it's shining brightly. The world around us ought to walk into the church and realize these are the children of God. They are innocent and blameless, not meaning they're soft, not meaning they don't have strength, but they have all that stuff. They have the stuff of moxie, but they stand as innocent before God because they love God with all their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength, and they've been forgiven for all of their sins. And people know it when they walk in. Do you know why? If you see someone with this moxie, do you know why they have it? Because you want it. Do you know where it comes from? The word of life. The word of life is where it comes from. That's the Bible. Words of God's grace. Words of rescue. This book will change, the Bible, it will change your destiny. It will change your journey along the way. It will transform you along the way. People who shine as lights, you look in their Bible, and what you're going to find is the letters are all smeared up. Do you know why? Because they're looking at this Bible, and they're reading the words, and tears are falling from their eyes because they're seeing the grace and the forgiveness that God is offering them. And when they go to wipe the tears away on their Bible, it smears the letters. And if you say, oh, that sounds weak, then I'm going to tell you right now, you have no idea what the Bible is because the Bible takes the hardest of men and causes them to curl up before a ball in front of God. The Bible does this. You know, our, new, our phones now, you can track how much you're on social media and your phones will like, be like, hey, this is how long you've been on social media, you loser. Like, you probably should get off of it even though it wants you to be on there. So it tracks and it tells you how long you should be on there and it gets a warning. Well, guess what? People who are in love with the word of life, people who are filled with moxie, do you know what their phones are doing? Their phones are losing battery, not because they're spending so much time on social media, but because they've been reading through their Bible app on their phone over and over and over again, and they're looking for comfort in the midst of their sins. They're looking for hope in the midst of a dark world, and they're scouring through it, searching everywhere that they can find for it, and they're finding it, and so their batteries are dying on their phone. When life is hard, people of moxie search for comfort in the word. When life is easy, they search in curiosity for the beauty of God. When life is boring, they read the Bible to see the adventure that they're in where they're seeking to bring God's kingdom together with God's people. Burden from your sin guilt of your failures, fear of punishment for all of your wrongdoings, for this threatening darkness of this curse of this world that keeps on feeling like it's crushing you. You realize the Bible is your medicine, so you cling to it.
when the world walks into a community of people called the church, they're going to walk in and they're going to realize the words of grace, the words of life, the words of love are leaping off of the pages in the Bible and upon the hearts of God's people. And then stirring up on the hearts of God's people, these same words of life are leaping off of people's hearts, latching, those words are latching onto the people who walk through those doors. And those people walk through those doors and they say, this is the place where life is. This is the place where love is. This is the place where grace is. This is the place where God's kingdom is coming. They walk into this place and they realize they found the right. The, the, this is not the wrong thing. This is the right thing. They finally found the real thing, the real light. And these words, in the words of life, come on, these words in the word of life, they produce an attractive community. Why? Because it's, this is our second point. It produces a community of people that are obedient to God. Obedient. You're squirming at that word. I know you are. Because you know why? You feel like that word sounds enslaving. But you know what? When you finally find the grace of God, that word doesn't sound like that to you anymore. You long to obey God. You know what it really means to obey God. It means that you have found grace. It's stirring up inside of your bones and you have nothing else that you want to do but to have the mind of Christ. That You want to feel what God feels and know what God knows and then you want to live the life that he's calling you to live because you've tasted grace. Verse 12 says, obedience is working out your salvation. But look, 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 look. You, you work out the salvation, but you have to realize this. The salvation has already been put in you first. So here's how you're probably reading this wrong. You're probably thinking, okay, that means if I obey God then that means I'm saved. But that's exactly the opposite. If you thought that, you would be as much wrong as, you would be as far from the truth as you are from God in that moment because here's what it means. You don't, you gotta understand this word salvation. Salvation is past, present, and future. Which means this, you have been saved from your sins, you're being currently transformed, and then in the future, God is gonna give you the world that you long for. That's what salvation is. And in these verses right here, these verses are talking about the present context that you are in, meaning this. God has worked salvation in you, and now you have to work it out of you. Obedience is the outpouring of salvation. You're not saved by your obedience, but your obedience proves that salvation has been deposited into you where you want to obey God. It's not that you're going to obey every single thing that he asks you to do. You're going to mess up, but you want to. You have this battle that's raging inside of you. It's almost more uncomfortable than it was before you became a Christian because you weren't fighting so much when you weren't a Christian. Now there's a battle happening. So you're working out your salvation. Now, if you're smart... Right now, you would be asking, well, what do, how do I do that? How do I actually work out my salvation? And I, I want to make sure everybody's clear with that, right? You're not earning salvation. It's being given to you as a gift. It's being placed in you, and now you're working it out, and that's an outpouring of obedience. So, so then, therefore, how do I work on obeying God more? In order to work out your salvation... You think about it like this. You know how your muscles get knots and you've got to massage them out? Well, when grace has been given to you, it gets knotted up. And so you've got to work, massage it out. Now, how do you do that? 
How do you work out this grace? Because the grace has been poured into you, and here's what you've got to do. You've got to get yourself environments where more grace is being poured into you, and as that grace is being poured into you, all this pressure builds up inside of you, and it, ha- it, can't, it can't just sit still anymore. It's got to move, and so it starts oozing out of your pores because so much grace is being poured into you. It's oozing out of your mouth and all the words that you speak. It's oozing out of your hands and feet by your actions. But you've got to get yourself into an environment where grace is pouring into you so it can work out of you. And here's what, you, here's what it's called. It's called the means of grace. What are the means of grace? Again, this is, play, this is, this is how you get grace poured into you and then out of you. So what are the means of grace? Well, you, it's all in our verses. It's all throughout the Bible. And if you look at God's people, it's in the culture of God's people. And here's what it is. The means of grace are God's word, prayer, and God's people. God's word, prayer, and God's people. So, think about this. Sunday morning's here. This is a means of grace. I want to tell you something. I want to encourage you. But almost, I I want it to be like, a command, because that's kind of what the Bible gives it. You're like, David, are you commanding me right now? Oh, I just, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible commands you, make Sunday mornings a non-negotiable for you. Meaning you will not miss a Sunday morning. And even if you're traveling and you're out of town, it means you're going to go find a church, and you're going to go there on Sunday morning, so that the grace of God can be poured into you, and then it will come out of you through obedience. Um, the average Christian in America, goes to church once every three weeks. That's 18 hours a year. And that, those 18 hours, that assumes that you are fully paying attention the whole entire time and your heart is just ready to hear from God's word the whole entire time that you're here. And I'm assuming that's you and I'm assuming you are locked on to everything that I'm saying and with all your heart you are singing the words out that we're singing with everything inside of you for 18 hours a year, an average Christian. But perhaps not. Maybe at best you get 15 minutes of full devoted attention and worship to God. So now we're really like, that's not very much. And we wonder then why the church in America today is failing. And we wonder why the church does not look like an irresistible community of faith. And we wonder why people can feel like they can experience God more on the boat than they can here on Sunday mornings. Just saying. I'm not being mean. The the early church, daily. The early church met together daily. And when that happened, the world around the early church looked upon it and they found a community that they've been hoping for. They found a community they've been longing for and the world ran to it or tried to kill the people in it, one or the other. Okay, so make this a priority. Second, second, community within this community. So they were getting together daily in the early church. What I'm saying is you need a group of Christians that you can have life together with. 
and that you can learn to obey God's calling in your life with. A community of people where you say, hey, one of the biggest things God calls us to do is to reach the world around us. And so let's go figure out how to do that together. Let's go be obedient to God and do the thing he keeps telling us to do over and over and over again, which is to build his kingdom. And you do it together, not on your own. And when that happens, this is a place where the grace of God is pouring into you and then out of you. It's stirring up the grace inside of you. Because a lot of you have been wondering why you're not growing. And the reason why you're not growing is because grace is in you, but it's just sitting there. And you just got to pour more grace in. And when you do, then it starts flowing through your veins, out of your mouth, out of your pores, through your words. And these, these are people you're eating with. These are people you're praying with. These are people you're opening up the Bible with. Saying, let's figure this out together. Not like, oh, let me show you all that I know. You guys like that accent? Okay. And woven into these environments, God's word and prayer. You come here. You hear God's word spoken. You participate in the sacraments. Baptism, the Lord's Supper. This is, these are means of grace. In your community, you're doing the same thing. And then your time alone with God. Making that a non-negotiable. Whatever it is, you know, maybe wake up earlier in the morning and start reading the Bible. Maybe spend some time in prayer and you say, oh, I'm not a morning person. Okay, do it at night. Whatever you want to do, just make it a priority. You know, we, we show up at our jobs. Like, we make that a priority or else we're going to get fired. Like, this is way more important than your job. It really is. And, and I know a lot of you don't believe that, but this is way, 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 way more important than your job. In fact, it's going to make you a better worker, and it's going to make you a better parent. It's going to make you a better spouse. It's going to make you better because God's word is transforming you. But we don't really believe it. But God's word keeps screaming at us that it will. But that's a faith move, and we've got to make a faith decision. Are we going to really go all in with this? All right, so let me ask this now. Is it that easy? Like, okay, we just open up the Bible and we pray. You know, I'll put, put in 15 minutes a day would be like a lot for me. I'm going to start there. Is it, is it this easy? No, because if you've spent any time in the Word, if you spent any time in prayer, you realize something. If you let it, Bible will get to your heart. And your prayer time with God is going to feel so convicting and it's going to be uncomfortable. But that means that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So it takes a lot of energy. And the other thing is, if we're talking about being a, an irresistible community of faith, I'll tell you right now, it requires sacrifice. But I'm going to tell you this. If you'll commit and make this non-negotiable every Sunday... If you commit to be a community of people, if you commit to being in the Bible every day and in prayer every day, you're going to look back at 15 years from now and you're going to see the transformation that God has done in your life and you're going to see the countless number of lives who've been changed because you said, I'm going to read my Bible every day, I'm going to pray every day, I'm going to make Sunday a non-negotiable and I'm going to be with my community of people and together we're going to figure out how to obey God together and we're going to figure out together how to go to God in grace and we're going to remind each other of the grace of God over and over and over over again, and you're going to find yourself transformed. And you'll say, man, there was not a minute wasted. 
but it's going to require sacrifice. So our third point, a purposeful community. If we're going to become an irresistible community of faith, it's going to require sacrifice. And you have to find something worth sacrificing for. You have to find a purpose that's greater than yourself, and then you're going to start making those sacrifices. So, verse 16, 17, and 18 are saying, it will require sacrifice. It will require service to God to bring God's kingdom. Let me say it this way. This will require you giving your life to God. Paul says in these verses that he's pouring his life out as a drink offering. Here's what this is. In, in, the, in the Greek world at this time and in the Old Testament, there's this imagery where if you take wine in a cup and you pour it out on the ground, that is you saying, I am giving my life for you, God. I am devoting my life. My, my life is a service to you, God. Completely, 100%. I am yours. Show me what to do with my life. And as soon as you do that, what Paul is saying is none of the things that he does now is going to be in vain. And nothing that you do will be in vain if you are working for the purposes of God because here's what that means. You're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to know that God's got something for you to do that's going to glorify him and that's going to bring so much joy for you because you've discovered his grace and you want everybody to know about his grace. And so Paul, he's, he is pouring his life out to this Philippian church and he's seeing them come to faith and it gives him joy even though he knows he might die the following day he doesn't care he's rejoicing because he's seeing what God's doing through him to God's people and it's worth it for him and he says the same ought to be true for us as well you know we live in a world that's obsessed with figuring out what our purpose is and it's like, man, we're just like prancing around like, what's my purpose in life? What's my meaning in life? And we don't, we don't realize that whatever is going to be meaningful and purposeful, it's going to require sacrifice. And if we're talking about the greatest purpose in the history of the world, you better believe it's going to require some sacrifice on our part, but it's going to be worth it. You know, this is the other thing. Like, if we don't have something that's worth sacrificing for and people come into like the community of the church, and they're like, well, these people, they just want to be comfortable. There's nothing worth sacrificing for them, but we keep talking about how great God is, but we're not willing to sacrifice for his sake. Well, this must not be real. This just must be us talking, like, sounds cool. Maybe we feel a little bit better because we're talking about it, but we don't really believe it's true. I, um, I, this week, I saw a little bit of the movie Braveheart, and I was reminded of the story where William Wallace, the hero of the story, um, there's all this injustice happening around him. And he remains pretty much uninvolved with the injustice until his wife is killed. And then when his wife is killed, he starts fighting the injustice like a wild man. He gives his life for it. It's everything for him. Now he, he will go to whatever lengths necessary to make sure that this injustice is defeated. But what had to happen for him, for him to do this? It had to become personal. Same is true for us. We will... You will never step into the life that God has called you to live until all of this becomes personal to you. For many of you, 
this grace has not become personal to you and, and you are not being changed. Maybe your family's coming here and you just don't get it. You don't know why this is such a big deal for people. Maybe you see people around you growing and you're not and you can't figure out why. Maybe you see people committed to seeing God's kingdom come. They're, they're doing everything that they can to see God's kingdom come. And you're like, that's really cool that they're doing this for us. Like, oh, thank you for that. But you just don't, you would never do it. You don't get it. Why would they do this? You see people giving their lives for the cause of Christ and you don't understand that desire. Why? Because Jesus and his grace have not yet become personal to you. This line that we read earlier, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Fear and trembling. Well, you're probably reading it wrong. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. So this is not a fear where we want to run from God, but it's a fear and trembling that's very complicated. It's very hard to describe with words. Let me just try to give you a picture of it. Here's what it's like. You become very aware that you're a sinner. And you become very aware at the same time. This is, you want it to be personal, here you go. You become very aware that you're a sinner, but at the same time, you also become very aware that God is perfect. And he will not stand for imperfection because if God is God and you ask him to allow something that's imperfect, now you are asking him not to be God. He's violating the very character of who he is. And then if he settles for something less than perfect, he'll never give you a perfect world in the end. He'll never give you what you long for. And then he falls for, falls short, far short of God. And so you have this tension you're living in. And here's what it feels like. You're like, God's over here, and you're like, God, I want to come to you, but man, I'm a sinner, and I'm terrified of you, but you're somehow weirdly drawn to God, and so you're drawn back, but then you're like, no, I'm a sinner, and you just kind of do this thing back and forth until you're ready to take the risk, and you come up to God, and you drop to your knees, and you say, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, and then he wraps you up with grace, and you go, oh, this is what it's all about. This is what all these Christians have been telling me about. This is this feeling that I'm getting. This is changing everything for me because I'm wrapped up into the arms of the grace of God, and now this has become very personal. I want to just, I want to try to go further than that. I want to ask you right now, I'm going to, I'm going to be quiet for a minute, and I just want you to pray. I want you to have an authentic prayer to God, saying, God, I'm ready to make it personal. I thought I did before, but I think maybe I could go more personal with you. You could be more personal with me. Just want you to pray that prayer. Like authentically, like pray it. Now, go. Okay. Isaiah 53, 12. Telling us about Jesus who is to come. It said he poured his soul out to death. Look, look at me. He poured his soul out to death on the cross. Meaning he poured his life out to rescue you. He made himself the drink offering. He had life. 
like the real kind of life pouring through his veins, pouring through his very being. And on the cross he goes and is completely emptied of life so he could pour that life into you. And you say, oh. I mean, I'm not talking about future life. I'm talking about now life. I'm talking about you have peace now. You have contentment. You have a joy that is unshakable, yet at the same time, you've got courage. You've got grit. Because it became very personal. He poured his life out. And now you wake up every day and you're just looking for ways to glorify him because you've seen what he's done for you. And you can't believe it, but you do. Because you felt the weight of what it felt like. Should you go to God? Should you not? Should you go? Should you not? And then you just said, I'm going to go for it and I'm going to ask him for mercy. And he showers you with it. I want to do something today. Paul says he's pouring his life out as a drink offering. And in the Old Testament, they did this. And in the Greco-Roman world, they did this where they took the wine and they poured it out on the ground as a way to say, I am giving my life in service to you, God, now. It means I'm going all in. It means I'm going to live my life for you, God, because you died for me, so I'm going to live my life for you. So that's what's going on up here. There's going to be a group of people. There's going to be two people who are going to come up and take this. Uh, Yep, okay. So under here, Everyone's like, what do you have this magic show going on today? It is a magic show. Underneath here are glasses of wine. And what I want to ask is that you would consider saying, God, I'm giving my life fully to you. Now, this is not you becoming a Christian. It could be you becoming a Christian. This is about you saying, I'm living my life for you, God. Yeah, you guys are dying to see what was under there. Okay, now look back at me, look back at me, look back at me. This is you coming up here saying, God, I'm giving my life for you. I am serving you. I am working for your glory. You have lived for me and died for me, so I'm going to live for you. Now, look, there's going to, everybody, you're going to see people coming up and you're going to be like, oh, everybody's doing this. I'm going to go do this. I want you to really think about this. I don't want to stop you from coming up. I want all of you to come up. But I want you to think about what you're saying. You're saying, God, I'm going to live my life for you. Pouring my life out as a drink offering. So we're going to play this next song. Band's going to come up. And as they're playing, as you feel led, you just come out, take one of the glasses of wine, pour it into the bowl. Um, don't drink it because it's not good wine. It's not expensive. Um, just pour it out into the bowl. But again, giving my life for you, God. Okay? All right, let me pray for us. God, I pray now, God, that you would send your spirit to dwell amongst us and within us and lead us to commit fully to you, to your kingdom to your glory, so that we might live lives that display your glory, beauty, and worth, so that we might live lives that offer up a testament to the world around us that you are an amazing God who showers us with grace. 
God, I pray for the people here. I pray for those right now that are trying to figure out if they're going to do this. And I pray, God, that you would stir up the grace within them so that they might stand and pour their lives out as a drink offering for you. God, I pray for those who feel so confident that they're going to come up and do this. And I pray that you would show them that this is a big deal, what they're about to do. And God, I pray that those who are terrified to do this and say they won't, I pray, God, that you would stir up in their hearts and give them the desire to stand up and come and pour their life out for you because you have given your life for us. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.